This is God's word. The next day, the large crowd that had come to the feast heard that Jesus was coming to Jerusalem. So they took branches of palm trees and went out to meet him, crying out, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, even the king of Israel. And Jesus found a young donkey and sat on it, just as it is written, Fear not, daughter of Zion. Behold, your king is coming, sitting on a donkey's colt. His disciples did not understand these things at first, but when Jesus was glorified, then they remembered that these things had been written about him and had been done to him. The crowd that had been with him when he called Lazarus out of the tomb and raised him from the dead continued to bear witness. The reason why the crowd went to meet him was that they heard he had done this sign. So the Pharisees said to one another, you see that you are gaining nothing. Look, the world has gone after him. Amen. Thank you, Caitlin. Good morning, church family. How are you? Good. It is good to see you. If you are new here, my name is Aaron, and I'm one of the pastors. And if you are new here, I actually, at the 9 a.m. service, I met three families that had all joined uh, since I've been gone for the last couple of weeks. So I don't know. Maybe the, secret, maybe the secret to church growth is just get rid of me every once in a while. So let's go. Just teasing. I have been with a team of people from our church uh, overseas in Uganda. We just got back Friday morning. And a uh, couple, two things about that. Uh, number one, I really, really love you. And as a church community, I really love being a part of this church family. And I love all the members of our church. I am just glad to see some other ones than the 11 people I've been with the last few weeks. No offense, Julie. Uh, I love you very much. I saw Jordan in here somewhere too. You guys are amazing, uh, but there are other people who I love and I'm glad to be back with you. The other thing is a lot of people coming up, you know, between services or beforehand saying, hey, how was the trip? How was the trip? How was the trip? And this is my chance to update you uh, with a little bit of a high level update before I jump into this passage today. Would you guys like that? I'd like to hear a little bit. So I'll tell you, I'll tell you this. Um, the trip was uh, incredible and it was intense, It was incredible to see God do just amazing work, not only through us, but more in us, I would say. And it was intense for all of the practical reasons that you might anticipate traveling overseas with a large group of people. It was intense because we were quite literally squeezed together in a small van or a small guest house for the better part of two weeks. Uh, And it was intense because good work was done for the glory of Jesus. And we know that we have an enemy who always, always hates that kind of stuff. Amen? And so uh, I, I don't know if we got a chance to mention this to you before we left, but before we had left, we had asked uh, you to give above and beyond your regular tithes and offerings uh, to try to raise $5,000 so that we could do this medical outreach work. And I'm happy to report that of that $5,000, you all gave over $10,000. And so praise God for that. You're very generous people. And uh, I'll even say this, we wanted to use the money for uh, particularly the medical work. We couldn't we couldn't spend it all while we were there. And so we still have to figure out some ways to continue investing in the medical work in the village of Chuchtonga, kind of the remote village where we were. But because you guys gave above and beyond, we were able to do some things. So one of the first things we did was this clinic. We did three days worth of a clinic. We got some photos we can show you here. And uh, you can see at this clinic, there are uh, those, some of us from America who are there helping and serving. You can also see kind of in the background, or if you go to the next slide, uh, the next photo, you can see uh, we were able to hire Ugandan doctors and nurses and actually 
actually even a dentist to come out with us so that we could seek to do what is really, really important, and that is empower the people themselves. We really strongly believe uh, for us as a church and for Julie with Heed Uganda, the organization, it is not about us showing up as the hero uh, Americans coming to just bestow all of our good gifts upon them, but to really see the locals empowered and equipped to care for themselves and to live the lives that Jesus has for them. Amen? And so, yeah, as you guys can clap for that. That's a good, good thing. It's really important to do. In addition to the medical care that we did for three days, primarily focused on malaria, but some other stuff, we were able to pray with people. You can see this next photo of Pastor Kyle sitting with a young man. Uh, I believe his name is uh, Arius, and he was not doing well. He had malaria. He was extremely dehydrated. I'm happy and thankful to report that after prayer and the loving medical care of our people and the Ugandan people, just a few days later, we saw him. He greeted us at the door of his house there in the village. He's up and about feeling much, much, much better. So praise Jesus for that. Or you can see the next photo. Uh, I got to... I got to pray with people. I got to play pastor because I'm not a doctor or a nurse. Uh, even though sometimes I try to make medical analogies in my sermon and then all the medical professionals come up to me afterward and say, don't. Uh, but I got to pray with people, care for people, love people. And this was, this was a huge uh, function of what we were doing there. And what I really wanted to, to do, is, my part, but for all of us, is to remind people that Jesus is the great physician. And even though we were there with some medicine and some skill, everything that we did was in the name of Jesus, who's the one that heals not only our bodies, but our hearts, our minds, our souls as well. Amen. The second thing we did is we planted some trees. The school over there has a piece of property that we were able to plant uh, 620 eucalyptus trees on. And uh, the eucalyptus trees, you can go to the next slide. My daughter Reagan here is kind of helping. If that, if that doesn't get her some cred here in earth-loving Seattle, planting trees in Africa, I don't know what will. But we planted over 600 trees, and in about five to seven years, those trees will reach maturity. They can be harvested and sold for lumber, which will actually provide food and resources and supplies for the school for years and years and years. So that's a pretty incredible thing. You can go to the next slide. Here we got Pastor Doug hanging with some locals. Uh, Pastor Doug got many nicknames over the trip, but one of them was Water Can. And so feel free to use that when he comes back. He's, he's out of town right now on a business trip. He actually had to go from Uganda to Orlando Oh, uh, for a business trip, he'll be back next Sunday. So just, hey, water can, how you doing? But actually what's really cool, this gentleman on the left in the dark blue polo shirt, his name is Julius. He's a very deep voice that sounded really manly and I sinned because I was jealous because I sound like a middle schooler trying their best to sound like an adult. But he had a very deep voice. He was actually raised in the Compassion International program and very good in English, really smart, really well-trained in planting and raising trees and plants. And so he was an incredible resource to have on hand to actually lead the charge. We were there just helping, serving, and supporting him. And I'll tell you something that was really mind-blowing. You can't see it in this photo. He is wearing this blue polo shirt. And when I leaned in, I looked really close and it said UAF on it. And I was like, are you kidding me? That's the University of Alaska Fairbanks. I was born in Fairbanks. My dad got his engineering degree from UAF. Just file that under things I didn't expect to see deep in the bush of Africa. The third thing we did was called Family Day, and it really was just that. It's a family day. We invited all of the students to bring their family members, their parents, 
the village, the, the surrounding villages to come and just have a day of celebration with us. We served a meal. We sang together. We danced together. You can see on the next slide, there were some locals leading the, the fun, leading the charge. We had all sorts of uh, amazing time together. And, and I'll say this, it was really cool. Um, in Ugandan culture, for a number of reasons, you don't often see the parents interacting with the children. And at this family day, it was awesome to see parents sitting and coloring pictures with children. That was remarkable. We also got to bring the very first bouncy house that anyone in this village had seen with some, some like slight trademark infringement little mermaid thing going on there. I don't know what that is. Seems off brand to me, but okay. Uh, we also uh, did face painting. I could show the next picture. My daughter Reagan was with us and she painted faces, I think for like two and a half, three hours without taking a break. She was a rock star on that. And Pastor Doug and myself got to preach and got to speak to the people, particularly the adults while the kids were doing some activities. In this next photo, you can see Pastor Doug using his skills as a business owner and a businessman doing a training on business to a packed house. I mean, over a hundred adults were in that room there while Pastor Doug is sharing how we can use business and business practices to bring glory to God and to see that region uh, be healthy and sustainable and all that. So this incredible opportunity we had, friends. And then the last thing we didn't really, this wasn't us, this wasn't our, um, our idea, we weren't really involved in it, but we got to be there for something that has been years in the making, which is the dedication of a brand new high school building. And you can see it just kind of appears out of nowhere in the middle of a very rural area. This has been something, Julie, how long has this been in the works to get this building built? Is it a few years? Five, Five years. When, I, when Kyle and I were there last year, we taught the high schoolers in a wooden fruit stand that had been converted to the high school building. This is significantly better. You can see in the next photo just how beautiful this is. There were people from Kampala and around Uganda saying, I've never seen a building this beautiful in all of Uganda. And here it is tucked away, hidden in kind of nowheresville, Chachtanga, Uganda. We got to be there for the ribbon cutting ceremony. And this really sharp gentleman in the blue suit and the red tie right there is a stinking member of the Ugandan parliament who took time out of his day to come out and be there for the ribbon cutting ceremony. And he, while he was there, he made public pledges to bring electricity and water to that region, as well as a school testing center. So praise God for that. Talk about favor. Amen. And he actually followed up over the next few days. And I actually found, I have, I have his phone number, Julie. I need to give this to you actually. So come get this from me. It was in my Bible. I forgot to give that to you afterwards. So how amazing is our God? Isn't it amazing to get to be able to do and to be a part of something like that? And even those of you who didn't come, you gave, you prayed, you participated in it. And I can say this, as I come back and as the people come back from this trip, uh, we want to take something that we received over there and we want to bring it back to you. And that actually goes right in line with what I want to teach about today here from John chapter 12. And so if you would with me, Would you bow your heads? Would you pray with me as I ask God to help stir in us a fire for his mission all over the world? Let's pray together. God, we thank you that you are the same yesterday, today, and forever. God, I thank you that you are the same God in rural Uganda or suburban America. God, I thank you that your passion and your heart is to see people with their hearts set on fire for you to participate in your mission of redeeming people and restoring all things unto yourself. And so today, Lord Jesus, as we talk about this idea of passion and about mission, I pray that you would help me to teach in such a way that is truthful, but that is, that is also stirs up in us a passion for your glory and for your mission. 
wherever we might be in the world. And God, I pray for our hearts. Would you stir our hearts, Lord God? Would you give us that passion that you have within yourself to go into the world and to make a difference and to invite others to come along with us? We pray this in Jesus' good name. And everyone said, amen. All right, so here's the question. We're talking about passion today. When was the last time you got genuinely excited about something? When was the last time you were excited? Not just a momentary type of excitement, but the type of excitement that says, I want to put this excitement into action. I'm not just going to sit here and think excited thoughts. I'm actually going to do passionate and excited actions. Maybe for some of you, it's, it's something as simple as, as entertainment, right? A new TV show, uh, a new record that you're excited about, a new band you found, and you're like, you know what? I'm excited about this. I'm going to make time in my schedule to sit down and just watch these shows. Maybe it's sports. I left. The Seahawks were terrible. I came back. They seem like they're doing okay. I don't know what that is. I'm praying they don't get terrible again now that I'm back in the country. But I'm kind of catching up on football, and people are excited about football. Football is in full swing, and baseball World Series starts this week, and the NBA uh, season has started. I know at least Myung, where are you, Myung? I know he's at least excited about that. At least one person in our church is excited about the basketball season. Maybe it's, maybe it's a politician, we're coming up on election times here, you know, mid, what do they call midterm elections? And, and we have people who are out there campaigning and running, and we have people who are actually genuinely excited about a, a person. I came back, there's a new giant sign for some woman running for, I believe it's state senate. Uh, it's a giant sign. So somebody was excited enough about this person to take their hands and drive a stake into the ground and nail the sign up. Like, wow, that's, that's passionate because I haven't, ever done that in almost four decades of life. I don't, I don't know if I ever would, but somebody was excited. What do you get excited about? What do you get passionate about? We get excited about things. Unless you think I'm about to come down with the hammer on you, I am, but let me soften the blow by saying, it's okay to be excited about things. It's okay to be passionate about things. It's okay to let those passions stir you to action. But sometimes we let our passions be more than our passion for Jesus. The big idea where I want to go for us today is simply this. There is no one or no thing more worth being excited about than Jesus Christ. Amen? He is worth all of our passion. He is worth all of our service. He is worth all of our leadership with anything and everything that we've got within us to say to a watching, listening, and onlooking world, hey, you really ought to come check out this Jesus that I found. And if I was to put it negatively, I would say this. Too often, we let our passions become more important to us than Jesus. Amen? This is as true for me as it is for anybody in this room. So here's what I want to do. I want to do things a little bit differently. I want to start by unpacking this passage. Let me just say, it is a loaded passage. This passage is traditionally what we call Palm Sunday. It takes place the week before Jesus is arrested and crucified and raised from the dead. Typically, churches have Palm Sunday the week before Easter. Not Sound City Bible Church, we're doing Palm Sunday in October. Why? Because we can. And because it was the passage that was next for us in the Gospel of John. So, if you can do Christmas in July, you can do Palm Sunday in October, let's do it. 
I'm going to unpack this passage for you, and then admittedly, I want to move into a topical uh, study of some thoughts that I want to share with you that God has been stirring in my heart from this passage, and really from John chapter 11 and 12, kind of as a whole story, this raising of Lazarus. So if you've got your Bibles, let's do there. Let's go there. John 12, starting in verse 12. The next day, the large crowd that had come to the feast heard that Jesus was coming to Jerusalem. Now, if you know where we are in the story, which feast is this? Sound City? Passover. Exactly right. Passover. We've seen many feasts. We've seen the Feast of of Tabernacles or Booths. We've seen uh, the feast known as Hanukkah or the, the Festival of Lights. And now we're at the Feast of Passover. What does Passover celebrate? The Exodus. Yes, when God freed his people out of slavery in Egypt. This is a big deal. This is a big festival. This is a, this is a people gathering from the entire nation of Israel coming in from the outskirts, the other towns, the villages, the rural areas, gathering into Jerusalem because this is the number one high celebration of the year. But if you look down in verses 18 and 19, you see that people are also gathering in because they heard that Jesus had raised this Lazarus guy and they want to see if it could possibly be true. If you'd heard that someone had died and risen from the dead again and you knew that they were going to be maybe at the Alderwood Mall this Saturday, you'd pack up in your minivan and go check it out, wouldn't you? Or whatever you drive. I have a minivan too. I'm not judging. I'm just saying. Minivans go to the Alderwood Mall. That's the natural order of things. You'd be intrigued. You'd be interested. This I got to see. Well, it's like that. But it just so happens to be at a time when the, the, the people of Israel are also gathering to Jerusalem in droves. There is a lot of meaning and there's a lot of symbolism that's happening here. And I can't hardly go half of a verse without stepping on some sort of really awesome Bible landmine where it just explodes and you have to go look at other passages. So I'm going to move quickly through this because I want you to understand what's happening when you read the Bible. The next day... This large crowd that had come to the feast, they heard that Jesus was coming to Jerusalem, so they took branches of palm trees and went out to meet him. There were a lot of palm trees there in Uganda, but I did not bring any branches back because I think it's against the law. And customs would have something to say about what is wrong with you bringing giant branches? We got Palm Sunday in October. That's a thing right now. Go to jail. Why are they bringing out palm branches? What are they doing? This is a symbolic gesture. This is a a, a throwback to something that happened in between the Old and the New Testament. And I won't tell the whole story, but it's, it's the story really of where we get Hanukkah. The, the foreign Syrian army had, had conquered over Israel. God raised up a guy named Judah Maccabees and he fought off the, the evil people who had desecrated the temple. And he's like the really, really good, tough guy, ruler, king who liberated the people again. And so they started celebrating and, and, and partying. And one of the things they did was they would wave palm branches. If you want to read that story, you can find it in a book called First Maccabees. That book is not part of the Bible. It's not part of the inspired canon. It's, it's a, we call it maybe an apocryphal book or the, the intertestamental books. It happens in between the Old and New Testament, but it's still helpful and interesting to read so that you can understand what's happening in between the Old and the New Testament. So these people are waving palm branches at Jesus. They're saying one like Judah Maccabees who overthrew the government, he's here. This is an intense thing. This is an intense claim. It's a symbol of of Jewish nationalism and, and national pride. Our king is here. 
And they were crying out, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, even the king of Israel. As if the palm branches weren't, uh, you know, uh, clear enough, they started shouting out, Hosanna, which means please come save us. And then they quote from Psalm uh, 118, they say, our king is here. Praise be to our king. Friends, this is an act of sedition against the government. These people, this is not just some like praise service where people got a little bit carried away and started waving their coats around over their heads. This is an act of nationalistic pride saying we're sick of the Roman government ruling over us and that awful you know, puppet king Herod who rules over us. We are excited because our real king, the one who has been promised for centuries, is finally here. And they're, they're committed They are passionate. They're committed. And then Jesus, I love this. Jesus went and found a young donkey. You can read more extended versions of that in some of the other gospels, but note the intentionality. Jesus is like, I'm going to go get a donkey and I'm going to sit on it and I'm going to ride because back in the, the prophet Zechariah, he said, you know, fear not, daughter of Zion. Behold, your king is coming, sitting on a donkey's colt. I just have this picture in my mind of Jesus going, watch this. This will really blow their minds. I'm going to go get a donkey. I'm going to a young one, just like the prophet. Let's do this. Like they're waving the palm branches. They're quoting the Psalms. When I bring the donkey, boom, the party is going to really start. His disciples, verse 16, did not understand these things at first, but when Jesus was glorified, then they remembered that these things had been written about him and had been done to him. When John and, and some of the other biblical writers, they use that word glorified, what do they mean? They mean his death and his resurrection. Friends, Jesus does not make sense without the death and the resurrection. If we're not talking about the cross and the empty tomb, then I'm sorry, we're not talking about the real Jesus of the scriptures. You can have all sorts of Jesuses out there. You can have the Jesus of, you know, the one who is more or less like some sort of a vending machine who if you push the right buttons, he'll bless you in just the right ways. You can have Jesus who's the self-help guru who comes along and makes all your emotions feel better. You can have Jesus who's the, the conqueror and he never loses and he always wins. And you can have Jesus teach you how to make every single day your best day. If it doesn't depend upon the cross and the empty tomb, then it's not the Jesus of the Bible. That's the key to understanding Jesus. You want to understand Jesus? You've got to talk about the cross and the empty tomb. His disciples, even in this moment with all this stuff going on, they still didn't fully get it. But later, after he was raised, they're like, oh, he was claiming to be not just the king of Israel, but the king of the world, the king of kings and the Lord of lords. Amen? The crowd that had been with him when he called Lazarus out of the tomb and raised him from the dead, this is important. They continued to bear witness. That's really important. We're going to come back to that at length. The reason why the crowd went to meet him was they'd heard he'd done the sign. There's a lot of people here that are excited. And then the Pharisees, verse 19, the Pharisees said to one another, (laughs) just hear the like whiny despair in their voice as they say this. See, you're gaining nothing. The, the translation, you know, the, the, it's, it's kind of hard, but it's like a, almost like an idiom or a colloquialism. Like, we've done a terrible job. If your football team has tried to run the ball and they keep gaining no yardage, you would say, you have done a terrible job, right? This is what they're saying. They're looking at each other like, boy, is there any worse of a job that we could have done to shut this Jesus character down? Look, the world has gone crazy for him. 
They're all running out after him. Everybody loves Jesus. Everybody wants to be a part of Jesus. Everybody wants to be part of the Jesus movement. What more do we have to do to shut him down? And that's where the story next week is going to continue with the plot to kill him. But we'll leave that for next time. I really want to focus in on these ideas. The, the whole world has gone after him. And I want to focus on the idea of this crowd bearing witness to everyone else around him. So I want to say this. If this story shows us any one thing, it's this. Jesus is compelling. If you have not at any point in your life been excited or moved or even a little bit scared by Jesus, then I would humbly submit to you that you may not have met the Jesus of the Bible. You may not have met the real Jesus because Jesus is compelling. We do not come to church on a Sunday morning because it's a good moral religious exercise or because it's something to do on a Sunday that you're supposed to do. We gather to meet with Jesus Christ. We gather to meet with the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. What an insane thought that is. That we can gather and Jesus says, whenever two or more of you are gathered in my name, I'm gonna be there with you. He's here with us right now, friends. And forgive us, Lord, when we gather in or when we come to the scriptures or we come to prayer and we say, well, this is my nice time to read the Bible and I've got to do morning devotions and I should say four prayers and I should go to church because it's the right thing to do. It's like, Jesus is like here. Holy cow. Holy Jesus. What an amazing thought that that is. If you have not been compelled by Jesus, then I, I love you, but you may not have met the real Jesus. Jesus is compelling because he speaks truth. How many of you have ever had your world turned upside down by some truth that Jesus spoke to you? Maybe it came through the scriptures. Maybe it came through a brother or sister in, in the church and they just said something and I was like, oh man, that really, that really messes up some plans I had in my life. Uh, have you ever had a time where you're praying and God just speaks something to your heart and it's like, oh, it's true and it, it's maybe a little bit painful but you know that it's right and it's good for you. Anybody had that experience? I had that experience on this trip about three days in. I won't say exactly what, but God just spoke to my heart and it was like, ouch. Okay, God, I hear you. I need that truth. Jesus is compelling, not only because he speaks truth. Jesus is compelling because he laid his life down for us. How many politicians are running on a platform right now for elections here in a few weeks on some sort of platform of like, I don't serve the big fat cats. I serve the interests of the people. How many politicians claim that? All of them. How many of them actually serve the people? Not all of them. <laughs> leadership, we get jaded because we expect people to get into positions of power and leadership and authority and to take from the people. But Jesus, the one who is the king of all kings, gave his life for us. Let his blood be spilled out. Gives us nothing but grace. Is that incredible, church? He is the one that we truly want. When every politician or every leader, anyone platforming or politicking for anything, when they says, I'm here to serve the people, you can know that only Jesus does that perfectly. And let that remind you of his death and his resurrection and his offer of grace and forgiveness. And his, he literally offers us the life of God himself to come alive within us. How incredible is that? Jesus is compelling because he speaks truth. Jesus is compelling because he gives us his life. And Jesus is compelling, hear me on this, because he demands everything from us. Uh-oh. 
question, how many things belong to Jesus in the universe? All, all of the things, yes. You did good. How many things does Jesus, in our life, how many things does Jesus have the rightful claim over? All things. Jesus gives us everything, and in return, Jesus demands everything. Listen to what he says in Matthew chapter 16. If anyone wants to follow after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. For whoever wants to save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for me will find it. Oh, but my life is, is going well. My life is, is, is pretty great. I've got a job that pays well. I've got a retirement account. I've got health insurance. I've got friends. I've got, family, thing, thing, I've got access to some of the best health care in the world. You want me to lose all that for the sake of Jesus? Yeah. Or Luke 18, Jesus is talking to the rich young ruler who really reminds me of like a, like a Seattle guy. Just, you know, I'm, I'm good, I'm moral, I've got a lot of money, I'm doing pretty well. Jesus says, well, you still lack one thing. You want to go sell everything that you have and distribute to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven, and then you come follow me. What if, what if Jesus asked you to sell your home and not stick the money into equity in the next home, but to give it all away? Now, I don't know that that's what Jesus is asking you to do. Jesus is not anti-home ownership, okay? He stayed at the home of Mary and Martha and Lazarus multiple times. But if Jesus asked you to give up your house, your car, to empty your retirement account for the sake of the kingdom, to see someone who is lost and damned and going to hell come into right relationship with him, would you do it? When he demands everything. Or, or Luke 14, this one is perplexing. Jesus says, if anyone comes to me and does not hate his own father and mother, wife and children, brothers and sisters, yes, even his own life, he cannot be my disciple. Whoever does not bear his own cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. So, is Jesus here advocating a life marked by just hating all of the things and people closest to you? I don't think so. Jesus has some things to say about hating and about judging and about love and but what Jesus is saying here is, I want everything from you. And if your love for me and your commitment to me was really what I wanted from you, if it really was the kind of love and commitment that I deserve, all of your other commitments would look like hatred in comparison. What if Jesus asked you to give up a particular relationship? What if Jesus asked you to give up everything for the sake of him and the sake of his mission? Would you do it? I heard, uh, I, I haven't listened to it yet because I've only recently got back, but my brother Steve last week uh, preached about uh, uh, Mary washing Jesus' feet with her hair. And was, he was saying like, her hair for crying out loud. Like, I'll give up a lot of things. My hair? Like, what if Jesus wanted you to shave your head and be bald for the rest of your life? I mean, it looks like for some of you, Jesus already made that decision. I'm sorry, but... <laughs> what if Jesus wanted you to give that thing that was most precious to you? Jesus demands everything. I, I want to tell you this. Uh, I, won't, I won't keep talking about Uganda because then you guys are going to think, oh, this is just the fired up return from a mission trip sermon. 
But boy, there is something clarifying about traveling outside of the United States and having your priorities reset a little bit. One of the days that we were there, uh, we were doing a scripture memorization project with the children who were in the school. And it was beautiful and precious. And some of these kids memorized like 30 Bible verses and they got given prizes for ever one, you know, who'd memorized the most verses. It was just awesome. Made my pastor heart happy to see seven-year-olds quoting King James Version to me. And there was all sorts of prizes. There were sunglasses and there were jump ropes and there were beach balls and there were, you know, pencils and color crayons and there were some bigger prizes for the ones who were like the top of their class. There's some watches and some, some different things and there was a pile of water cans. They, they use these jerry cans or a few gallons, you know, if you handle on the top, you kind of take them around to collect water. Do you know what the first prize to get cleaned out was? Jerry cans. These are like 10-year-old, 12-year-old, 14-year-old kids who come in, memorize the Bible. You can have any of these prizes, any of these toys, candies, all sorts of you know, fun stuff. Now I need a water can so that my family has water to drink and so we don't die. So, at the risk of laying the guilt on too thickly, <laughs> let me just say, how many of the things in your life that you say I can't do without, could you really do without? if Jesus asked you to give it up, if it meant that you would grow closer to him, if it meant that someone could come to know the saving grace of Jesus, what would you give up? This is why Jesus is compelling. These people in the story are rushing out of the city. They're literally putting their lives in their hands because, like I said, this is an act of sedition. Every single one of these people who participate in this could be crucified according to the laws of the land for raising up and elevating another king besides Caesar. And they said, Jesus is worth it. Jesus is worth it. One of the reasons, all right, I'm going to go topical for a minute here if you'll let me. One of the reasons I think sometimes we get our passions out of alignment is we run after fads and trends and we let our excitement and our passion get wrapped up in something that's like the flavor of the week or the flavor of the month. How many of you, I will ask you to show, raise your hands in a moment, how many of you have ever gotten caught up in a fad or a trend or something and then you look back on that time in your life and you're like, what in the world was I thinking? Show of hands. Okay, a lot of you. For some of you, it was a bad hairstyle in the 90s. Uh, for others of you, it was something more serious that like took a lot of effort, a lot of energy, a lot of money, a lot of time. And I would just say to you, I think we... Being back in America and, and like, you know, I was trying to catch up on some football, watch a little college football yesterday. Just like, my goodness, the air that we breathe, the water that we swim in is nothing but one person after another saying, hey, check this awesome thing out. This is going to change your life and make everything better. We're like, oh, that sounds kind of good. You know, as we, we chase after these fads and we get excited about things or getting back on social media and just seeing everything that people are excited and passionate about. G.K. Chesterton, the great Catholic author and philosopher, he's someone who my, one of my heroes, C.S. Lewis, read a lot of before him meeting Jesus. G.K. Chesterton says this about fads, and I love it. One mark by which popular in instinct detects a fad is this. Here's how you can know if you're chasing a fad. Number one, unnatural seriousness about a small matter. But there is a second and stronger mark of a real fad, and it's this. The tendency to concentrate on a topic rather than the truth. All right, keep going. And a third mark of the fad is its infinite expansiveness. 
imperialism, for instance. That's when he was writing in the time when England was just out there taking over every country, including Ugandan. Uh, imperialism, for instance, is a fad. Fadism has no sense of the shape and natural limits of its own original idea. Its tendency is to eat up the whole universe. Oh, okay. Recapping, spotting a fad. Number one, obsess over something real small. Fad number two, focus on some topic more than the truth. Backing out and saying, hey, is this true? Is this what the Bible says? Is this what natural uh, you know, law or, or, or common sense would say? And then number three, it overreaches its boundaries. And for some of us, I think it's the most dangerous where this, this idea of a fad or a trend or something, it just, it takes passion. It takes energy that belongs to Jesus. Jesus. Here's how I would summarize it. I would say this, fads are the enemy of mission. You're a finite human being. You only have so many hours in the day. You have only have so many, my mom used to say, you only have so many emotional pennies that you can spend every day. And if you spend all of those moments and all of those emotional pennies on some fad or something, then you miss out on the most exciting and compelling thing. And that's the mission of Jesus to redeem people and to restore all things to himself. Be careful. Be careful about chasing after trends and fads because they mean that we don't follow Jesus as closely. And if we don't follow Jesus, we don't become like Jesus. And if we don't become like Jesus, we, we, we don't do as good of a job of inviting other people to come see him. Now, I want to focus in on that phrase where they were bearing witness and they were inviting others to come and follow Jesus because I think this is the progression. First, you follow Jesus. He changes you. You start to become like him and then you start to lead others toward Jesus. We start to lead others toward Jesus. I love the people of Sound City Bible Church. I am so incredibly grateful for the faithfulness of this body of believers. You guys are amazing. You gave, even while a significant group of your leadership was gone, you were serving, making services happen, all that kind of stuff. But I will say that this area of leadership is an area where we need to grow. We need to grow. And so I want to share with you five quick thoughts on this idea of leadership where the crowd's like saying, hey, we got to go bear witness about Jesus. You got to come follow me. Come check this guy out. We need to grow in this area. And so five quick thoughts on leading like Jesus. Number one, everyone can lead somewhere. Everyone can lead somewhere. Some of you don't think that you're a gifted leader or a good leader. That may be true. You maybe don't have spiritual gifts of leadership, but you can lead somewhere. There is some person that God has uniquely placed in your life that you could say to, hey, what if we, what if we, hey, would you come with me? Hey, come with me as I pursue Jesus. I have a friend back in Alaska. He always used to say, if you want to know if you're a leader, just turn around and see if anyone's following you. Leadership can be summarized as simply as saying, hey, let's fill in the blank. I have, I have that spiritual gift. Hey, everybody, let's. And if Jesus hadn't saved and redeemed me and called me into ministry, I can guarantee you that that gift would be used for all sorts of destructiveness. Hey, everybody, let's. Mm, I shudder to think. Without the saving grace of Jesus, you can lead somewhere. You have some opportunity that you alone have been set in where God wants you to use your gift of saying, hey, what if we, let's go Leaders influence others how to think and how to act and how to move towards Jesus. Second thought is this. Before you lead, you gotta be faithful, okay? This is a little bit of a balance to the first point because some of you are like, yep, I wanna lead. I'm ready to lead. Let's go. But you've never proven that you can be faithful. 
When we were in Uganda, we had a driver, a guy named Richard, who I, was, I spent time with last year. I spent time with him this year. He's a very funny guy, and I really enjoy my time around him. In, in Uganda, they drive on the left side of the road, and we were driving. And also, it's, there's, no, there's no road like lines. There's no stop signs, no stoplights. There's a million little motorcycles called Boda Bodas. I kid you not, like a million of these things just like weaving in between traffic. It's crazy, especially the driving on the left side of the road thing. But I had this running joke where, Richard, you seem like you're getting tired. You want me to tag in? I could drive for a while. And he just laughed and like, not a chance, Aaron. I'm like, oh, come on. Now, why? Because he didn't want to die. But because he knew that I didn't have the right training. I didn't have the right opportunities to practice faithfulness in that area. Some of you, maybe you're saying, I'm ready to lead. I want to lead. But you just need to learn how to show up on time consistently. Or you need to say, when you're going to say you're going to do something, you just do it. You got to be faithful. Faithfulness has got to be in place before you can lead. Okay? So everyone can lead. I don't want that to negate what I said, but you got to practice faithfulness first. Number three, really, really important. There is no leadership without love. There is no real leadership the way that Jesus defines it without love. Oh, you can boss people around, but that's not leadership as God would define it. Amen? Think about this story. Jesus wept. And what did the people say? Do you see how much he loves Lazarus? I'm convinced that yes, the people were excited because of the miracle, but they knew the motivation underneath the miracle that Jesus loved Lazarus and Jesus loved this family and Jesus loves people. When you meet a leader that is genuinely loving, you will know it and you will want to follow them. Amen? So if you want to grow in your leadership, let me ask you this. How are you growing in your love for people? Some of us, are drawn to the type of leadership that says, I just have to get these things done. It's a little bit like maybe Martha, the sisters we've been talking about, but Jesus is less interested in how many boxes you check off your list and how many things you get done and more interested in how well you loved people in the process. I can confess for myself, my leadership can get that way. I just want to see all these things get done and sometimes I miss out on the people that Jesus has placed right in front of me? Who are those people that Jesus has given to you? What if leadership was more about just loving them really well than getting a bunch of things done? Number four, leadership is easiest where there's passion. We've been talking about this a lot, but let let me put it to you this way. Maybe you're not leading because you've lost your passion. Maybe you've let the cares of the world drown it out. Maybe you've followed and chased after a fad. You just don't have passion for the things of God. And so I would just ask you, where are you putting yourself in the position and in the opportunity to regularly encounter the real Jesus, the Jesus of the Bible, the one who is so compelling that these people were willing to leave their city and were willing to go out publicly and saying, Jesus is the king and I'm giving up my whole life for him. Where are you stoking those fires of passion? Or let me ask this, where has Jesus uniquely put a passion in your heart and passion in your life? I'll announce it maybe at the end here, but one of the things we've been talking about is this singles group that's launching. It's, it's, at the end of the day, it's not really that remarkable. Churches have groups for, for people who are not married, but I've just been so excited to see the way that God has stirred the hearts of a few members and individuals in our church to go love people that sometimes get overlooked in a traditional family church setting. I heard my brother Steve did a really good job last week too of saying, single people, not married people, you are not less than others in the church. Amen? What a good word that is. Thank you. I didn't even tell him to say that. He just knew. 
Leadership is easiest where you have passion. So where has God put passion in your heart? Where are you maybe ignoring the passion that he's put in your heart? And then number five, lastly, to lead, you gotta know where you're going. You gotta know where you're going. Hey, let's go where? I don't know, but let's go. Hmm, okay, sometimes that can be exciting. Sometimes it can end in disaster. What is it, what is it that God's asked you to lead? And here's, here's the way I've been saying this lately. Parents with your children, ministry leaders, you know, maybe you lead a community group or, or some particular area of service. What would it look like if that area of your leadership was going really, really well? What would it look like if those people were thriving? For parents with your kids, what, what is it you want for them? What is it you want for them for the future? Small group leaders, what would it look like if your group was really thriving? Ministry leaders, what would it look like if, if the team that you're part of was just really firing on all cylinders? That's called vision. That's called having a direction. Where could we go? So wrap it up this way. A couple of things. Number one, follow. Follow Jesus. Some of you are here today and you're checking out Jesus. And God bless you. We're so thankful that you're here. But he wants you to follow him. The real Jesus will not be admired from a distance. He beckons you to come, to give up your life, to say, I'm all in. I'm pushing all my chips to the center of the table and I'm going all in on Jesus. Some of you, you're already following Jesus, but you need to focus in. You've let your passion die down. You've, you've maybe chased after fads. You've, you've let those, the, the, the little bit of time and energy that God's given to you, you've, let, you've been chasing other things. You need to focus in on Jesus. Where do you need to pursue the, the flames of passion within your heart? And then number three, lead. Can I just say, we really need more leaders at Sound City Bible Church. We really need more leaders. Sometimes you come and like this, I think this building maybe tricks because it's so nice. Like it's a nice building. We put up a few signs. We set up a few things. And it, maybe you come in and you're like, wow, it looks like everybody's gotten everything taken, you know, taken care of. We don't need any more leaders. That is just a flat out untruth. We need people to lead. We need people to say, yes, I want to invite others to follow Jesus with me in whatever area it might be. Inside the, the family of the church, maybe it's loving and serving and leading and caring for people who are, who are hurting or who need to go deeper into the Bible or need to be discipled. Maybe it's evangelistic. You need to go outside the walls of the church and go meet with people who make others uncomfortable. And you say, hey, come talk with these people with me. Just where can you lead? As one of your pastors, I'm just, I'm pleading with you. We need more leaders. To really, not just say, I'm going to do a bunch of things, but I'm going to invite other people to pursue Jesus hard with me. Amen? So, I want us to pray. And I want us to respond to Jesus. We're going to respond here in a few ways. I'm going to invite Pastor Kyle to come up and lead us through a time of communion where we respond uh, by celebrating the broken body and the shed blood of Jesus. We're going to sing and we're going to sing a new song that talks about working for God's glory. But before we do any of that, I want to pray and I want to invite you to let the Spirit check your heart. Where do you need Him to stir in you His passion for His mission? Jesus, we bring our hearts to you right now. God, for myself, I confess that there are times where I let my passion fade I become consumed with the things of this world. And God, I ask and I pray that you would forgive me and you would forgive us for letting that happen. And Jesus, I pray that the passion for your mission, the passion for the people that you died to redeem would well up within us. 
And that God, you'd help us to know where it is you want us to lead and to serve and to contribute, uh, to be a participant in your mission, Lord Jesus. Help us now as we come to you in a time of communion, in a time of worship and singing. God, help us to know how to respond to you, not just in this time, but even later as we go from this room. And we pray this all in Jesus' good name. Amen. Amen. Well, this morning we're going to transition now to a time of communion. And I just want to say something real quick. I'm so grateful to be a part of a church that celebrates the Lord's table every week. But also, uh, just this morning I was kind of reflecting, and uh, I'll just share this with you. I don't know if, if this affects anybody here or not. But for myself, sometimes I can just go through the motion, and I can just take communion as another, as like a tradition, as something that we do every week. We can get kind of used to it and comfortable with that. Um, and this morning, the Lord just really spoke to me and wanted me to encourage you guys to really take time this morning to reflect, uh, to ask the Lord, what is it that you're calling me to surrender for you? Uh, Jesus can call us to give up stuff, to surrender things for him, because he has led in the perfect example of giving everything. Thank God that, that he gave Jesus, he gave his son uh, for our sins, for the forgiveness of our sins. And so this morning, I, I just encourage you to take some time to reflect on that and ask the Lord, what is he calling you to, to give up for him? When we truly meet Jesus, this Jesus that Pastor Aaron has been preaching about this morning, when we truly encounter him, we can't help but not want to give up everything for him. I'm going to read a passage from 1 Corinthians 11. It says, The Lord Jesus, on the night when he was betrayed, took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, also, he took the cup after supper, saying, This cup is a new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Whoever, therefore, eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty concerning the body and blood of the Lord. Let a person examine himself then, and so eat of the bread and drink of the cup. This morning, we have an opportunity to meet with Jesus. He is here. He wants to uh, have spend time with you. He wants you to uh, pursue him. And so I'm just encouraging you to take that time, uh, some time to pray and to, to encounter the Lord, to encounter our King, our Jesus, who died for us. Uh, I'll pray and then go ahead and take some time to reflect. And then have your, as you're ready, you can eat of the bread and drink of the, of the juice of the cup. And then join us as we stand and sing to worship Jesus together. Heavenly Father, God, we thank you for um, just this message, this reminder um, that, that you've given everything for us, that you, Lord Jesus, died on a cross, you were beaten, you shed your blood for us, for the forgiveness of our sins. And so, Lord, as followers of Jesus, as uh, your disciples, we come to you this morning, we pursue you, Lord, and we, we ask that you would speak to us. Uh, we ask that you would encourage us and, and build us up in our faith, Lord, but we ask that you would specifically uh, speak to us and tell us what it is that you want us to give up for you, for uh, the gospel to be proclaimed to the world. Um, God, we give you this time now. We uh, thank you for the example that you've given to us. We love you and we praise you, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen.